welcome to Standing at the Edge, the podcast. This is Casey Stratton, and we are in episode five of season one of the new podcast. I've really been enjoying this process, so thanks for sticking with me. And we're going to have another week with just me, and then next week, he doesn't know it yet, but my first guest is going to be my husband, Kurt. So we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about intersectionality. We're going to talk about how he's doing, how we're doing, how I'm doing, and that's going to kind of set the tone for the next few episodes where I'll be having guests and we'll be having conversations, which I really hope will be illuminating and help you all process what's going on with you and just the times that we're in and how we experience the world the same and how we experience things differently and just really kind of delve deep and get get into the heavy stuff a little bit. Um, this week, it's going to be just me again, like I said. I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, getting married and things like that. And um, first... We're going to talk about the world. Still crazy times. Cases are just skyrocketing of COVID-19 here in the United States. Even where I live, cases are on the rise, not the decline. And the world seems to be, well, not the world. The United States seems to be opening back up too soon, in my opinion. I'm not feeling comfortable. I'm feeling like things are going to get bad. Uh, I'm afraid that people are going to start losing even more people around them if they haven't already. I already know now two close friends who have COVID-19 in Texas. So yeah, starting to get more personal for a lot of us and that makes me nervous. Um, still today, actually the day I'm recording this podcast is July 7th. It's Blackout Tuesday here in the States where we're trying to only spend our dollars at black businesses. I have a friend who owns a juice bar here and I ordered a bunch of juice, fresh juice, which is going to be delicious and healthy and will be arriving tomorrow morning. So I'm excited about that. So really encouraging everyone, I mean, not just one day, but every day to go out of your way to spend money at black owned businesses. Uh, here in the States, it's pretty well known that it's very, very hard to start up a business if you are a person of color. It's hard to get credit. It's hard to get loans. Uh, it's historically, it's been very difficult for especially black people to get loans access to lines of credit, etc. So it's something that's really important and near and dear to me. Um, so yeah, just being really mindful and intentional. Also LGBTQ owned businesses. I actually uh, was looking at this list of like local LGBTQ businesses and realized that there was not one single restaurant on that list. So I'm like, oh, we got to fix that. Anyway, yeah, just a really, really weird time that we're living through. I just posted on Facebook the other day, like, I'm getting more and more convinced by the day that I'm in some sort of simulation that someone just walked away from, <laughs> like, like a game of The Sims, and you just haven't played in a year, and you open it up, and it's chaos. I don't know. It's just, it's, things feel so just bizarre and surreal, and, like, this can't really be happening, and I can't believe it's happening. Obviously, if you've been with me from episode one, it's just been a crazy few years for me, and... I'm just really trying to make sense of things and to find meaning in it. And I mean, is there? I don't know. It's the human condition. Sometimes I get really philosophical and think, well, there's really no point to any of this. And now we're seeing that play out. I don't know. I mean, it's been since 1918 since we've seen anything like this. And it's just really bizarre to see how people are acting. Well, I guess I shouldn't even say bizarre. I guess, you know, human nature is human nature. And it's been that way for 102 years. So I guess we are just playing out exactly in many ways, the way it played out in 1918 in the United States, with people getting tired of things being shut down, with people not wanting to wear masks, not listening to advice, although I would 
say we had much more authoritative leadership, or maybe that's not the right word, much more, I don't know, wise leadership, let's say that, back then than we do now. I really wish we had a unifying federal government, but at this point we do not, and I think that that is going to cost us quite dearly. I think we're already seeing that play out. We have 25% of the world's cases and 4% of the world's population. So something's wrong. And leadership, I think, is where you have to hang the hat on that. Anyway, I hope you're doing well. I talked about this last week, but just find ways to bring yourselves comfort. It's really important in these times. I've been really trying to give myself grace and be be easy with myself when I don't feel motivated. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in this episode. So let's dig in. February 2019 at this point where we left off and in January late January Kurt and I were laying in bed one night just talking and I said what would you say if I asked you to marry me and he's like I would say yes I'm like well then will you marry me and he said sure and that was that we made a mimosa (laughs) we brought it back upstairs to our bedroom and the rest was history we got married a month later uh, because we were going to do it in September, and then I was still, you know, this is only three or four months after I found out that my future is not guaranteed, not that anyone is, but that I, it was possible that I might not have a lot of time left, but I might have a ton. That's the thing. It's just, it's difficult when you don't know. Um, so the more we talked about it, the more I was like feeling this urgency. Like it was really important to me to get married. Um, For so long I couldn't get married. And I talked about this before, but I said I would never ever get married, even if I could. And then I started having dreams that people proposed to me and I was happy. So at this point I'm realizing that I really, really want to have that legal binding with Kurt and to do it in a way that's public. And like, you know, like this is my husband and feel that. And it really is important for people for many years who said, oh, does it have to be called marriage? Can't you just have a civil union? And it's like, we've learned that separate but equal is not equality, it's not equity. So it was really important to me to have that, to have that piece of paper, quote unquote, it's just a piece of paper. Yeah, but when you can't have it, it has a real value, like there's a weight to that, there's a value to it. So I really wanted to do it as soon as possible. So we were just like, well, let's just get married in, in a small wedding and then we can have like a big party or something later on, which we never ended up doing. But uh, so I know some people at the city of Grand Rapids. So I emailed the mayor and asked if she would do our, like our wedding, be the officiant. And her office wrote back and said, yes, she was available and she would do it. So I was super excited because it was our first female mayor ever in the history of Grand Rapids. And she was going to be performing our marriage, which was only four years, not even quite four years legal at that point in Michigan and federally. Uh, in the entire United States. So we got really excited about that, that we had the mayor. Uh, we invited like 20 people total, his family, my family, some close friends. Uh, it was really small. My friend uh, let us use his office space. It had a really nice um, skylight. Is that what it's called? Sure. Um, so it was just a, a really nice little space with like exposed brick and wood and wood floors and we kind of rearranged some stuff and it was just it was on a Saturday afternoon super quick I think the whole wedding was like seven minutes long um, just really simple and just family and close friends which to me felt right like I don't know I didn't feel the need to have this lavish 
gigantic, expensive wedding. And people do that, and that's fine. But I just wanted to be married to Kurt. I didn't really care, you know, like what the situation was as far as having some big ceremony. And then we went to my friend Jenna's restaurant, Amore Trattoria Italiano, for a wonderful private dinner in a private room that she made for us. Um, she made all sorts of vegan food for me. Uh, my friend Pong bought a bunch of bottles of sparkling rose, and we were just popping bottles and having a great time. It was this really amazing amazing authentic Italian dinner just like course upon course upon course anytime you eat at this particular restaurant you leave so full but the food is so delicious and we had you know my best friends were there my family was there my nephews were there which was great uh, just the thinking about them like I remember looking while we were eating dinner and thinking that's so cool to me that like we've got an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old and they're going to their uncle's wedding to, a, to another man, you know, in 2019. So I just thought that was really cool. And um, something, it just felt right. It felt just like Kurt and I, intimate, small. My cat is crawling all over stuff again. Rosalie, you're naughty. So that was that. And then we just went back to our lives. But what was really cool to me is that I work at the YMCA, as you know. And when I came back to work on Monday, they had decorated my entire desk with just married stuff and glitter, which took like literally six months to get all of it cleaned up and like some like sparkling fake sparkling wine whatever that like sparkling apple juice and two glasses that said uh, his and his both on them and I, I don't know I just thought it was such an amazing thing to feel that kind of inclusiveness uh, where I work especially for a religious organization um, to support me in that way I thought was really it was great it was endearing and again like with my identity as a gay person, it's just interesting to me that something like that would even be so notable that I would feel like, wow, I am the same as everybody else to get this like treatment like anybody else would. Because I didn't grow up with that seeming like a thing. And Kurt and I talk about this a lot because he's 11 years younger than me, which I mentioned last week. His generation had so much more representation than mine. He had Will and Grace. I mean, Will and Grace came on TV when he was like 10 years old. I didn't have anything like that. I remember when I was a kid, Madonna's dancers were on Geraldo, this talk show, and I secretly taped it and I would only watch it when no one was home or in the middle of the night because I was so afraid of being found out. But I must have been in ninth grade because Truth or Dare was out. Yeah, that came out when I was in ninth grade. So I must have been 13, 14, and I would watch that alone because I felt this sense of shame. You know, society told me who you are is wrong. And that being part of my identity, it's really interesting. There's this meme going around. I don't know if you've seen it, but basically it says, I'm going to just paraphrase that when you're gay, you spend your, a lot of your youth, at least my generation, hiding who you are and not being able to lean into who you really are. So when you do finally come out, you get to like live this authentic self, but you have to like check which parts of myself did I create to try to belong and which sides of myself are actually true. And you kind of have to undo yourself. You have like to dismantle parts of your personality that you created to protect yourself. And I never could, I mean, I tried to hide it, but I, I couldn't. Um, so when I was in elementary school, people called me a girl all the time. And then around middle school is when the F word came into play or I just got called straight up gay or whatever. And it was very hurtful because I was trying so hard to fit in and I was constantly being told that I didn't. And parts of myself that I was trying to hide, people were calling out. 
And so I spent a lot of time saying that's not true, you're wrong, and trying to hide it because I thought it was. I, I thought it would go away if I just waited long enough. It would go away. Or like if I had a girlfriend finally, then I would just snap out of it kind of thing. But secretly I knew, and I had known since I was like four or five years old. I've told this story before, but actually I knew I was gay because I had a dream that the boy across the street kissed me and it made me feel all tingly and warm inside. And I, you know, I was, it wasn't sexual. It was just like a, a boy kissing me. And I thought that was, you know, in the dream, I loved it or whatever. And then I ended up kissing the boy next door, but a different boy. <laughs> His name was Ryan Clark. I probably shouldn't put him on blast. Like, don't look him up on Facebook or anything. So, um, yeah, like early experiences, but like still knowing that something was wrong. But I thought I was like an alien. I thought I was the only one. And I found the more that I've been listening to podcasts and things recently with gay people or LGBTQ people, that a lot of people had that experience as children where they just thought they were the only person on earth or you know something like me thinking I was an alien. I remember one of my friends being at my house one day and saying, Michael Jackson's a homosexual, which isn't true, but or wasn't true that we know of, but I thought, well, what's wrong with people who have sex at home? Like I just, didn't, I, it didn't occur to me that, what that I didn't know what that word meant. So I, you know, I spent a lot of my youth just not being able to be my full self. And I didn't have shows like Will and Grace, as silly as that might sound, it's super important. And the more I see things represented, the more I realize how important it is. Like I'll see certain movies or TV shows where there's like a really realistic gay relationship playing out. And it's so emotional for me to see that because I was always seeing other people's stories, but I was not seeing my own. And that's something that I really bring to my work with youth, making sure that they feel represented and that they see people that look like them. Even when I'm looking at volunteers that I want to come in and have them talk like as a guest speaker or a mentor kind of situation, I'm making sure that we're representing the youth we're serving, that they see people who look like them that are achieving success or have had an experience that they can share with them, even if, even if they have wildly failed like let's talk about that I, I want kids to understand that we need people around us who are like us and I remember when I got a little bit older and started to know some gay people who were adults and how important that was to me to have those relationships um, so it's just really different for me because I did not grow up in a world where I thought same-sex marriage would ever be legal in my lifetime I did not see that happening and in America the opinions on that turned faster than any social movement we've ever seen and a lot of the researchers the theories around that are that it's because unlike things like race being gay is not something that your whole family is right so there we're just kind of peppered in everywhere you you probably have a sibling or a cousin or an uncle or an aunt or somebody who is lgbtq in your family so we are kind of hiding in plain sight in a lot of ways and so people get to know you as a person and this is what i found across all differences with race with gender with whatever if you have people in your life that you care about that represent different groups you're going to have a better view of the group in general and unfortunately in america especially we do tend to individualize white people and then other people are like you're representing all black people you're representing all latinx people you're representing all trans people whatever it is you're representing all gay people so i can that's where my intersectionality comes in where i can have empathy for the experience of people of color but only to a certain degree um, because I can try to hide who I am. I don't walk in the room with that label attached to me, but I do know how it feels to 
feel like if you make a mistake or do something that society says, no, no, that's wrong, that you are representing your entire group that you identify with. It's a very particular thing. Or the microaggressions. I've had so many people in my life say, you know, like, I like you because you're not like some gay people are. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really a thing you should be saying to me. I, I used to just let it go, but now I tend to call people out on stuff like that. It's, I try to be diplomatic about it, but... Anyway, part of that's part of my identity that um, has not. It's not all of who I am, but of course, again, going back to my childhood, I grew up being told who you are is wrong, who you are is wrong, and maybe not explicitly told that, although I certainly was. But society was telling me that it was still very much a, a taboo subject, and it would be like a very special episode of the Golden Girls, you know, and there'd be like some one gay character and it'd be like this huge thing and now it's just it's much more normalized and it should be i'm always like hey i'm here living my normal life like everybody else so it doesn't completely define me but it is a big part of who i am and i uncovered in therapy that one of my huge issues um with how my life played out especially even down to my music career is that i finally got to control my own narrative because when i was a kid I did not get to do that. And I've taken all these personality tests for therapy and it turns out that I value socialization quite a bit. So feeling like I didn't belong and being bullied was very deeply hurtful for me because I wanted to belong, but I didn't. And I knew it and I couldn't control the narrative. It's like with branding, you don't control the narrative if you're the company, the public controls the narrative. So all these kids around me were controlling my narrative and I couldn't. So when I became a musician and a songwriter, that gave me the final opportunity to say, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to express myself and it's going to be authentic. And so for people who have mentioned that my music seems very personal and very authentic, it's on purpose. I made a really conscious decision to be very open and honest in my work and it was not always easy i remember when i first started playing my own songs live oh my gosh my foot would shake on the piano pedal i would be terrified to be exposing myself in that way to be like i'm in front of a group of people singing about my actual real feelings and things that are hurtful or upsetting or scary so it just felt very vulnerable I had to learn, I had to practice, I had to become good at being vulnerable. And then it became something I became really proud of because it did, it was really empowering. And again, taking back my narrative to say, this is my truth and I'm going to express it. And I'm gonna do it in front of people. And I'm gonna travel the country and the world doing this thing. It was really so important to me. And I grew up with music being a part of my life because my dad was a singer songwriter my dad was in a band with my uncle so I grew up with rehearsals in the basement and going to see my dad play at bars and drinking Shirley Temples which is seven up and grenadine which I thought I was so classy with my Shirley Temple and so like to me there was never any doubt that that's what I was going to be a musician and now of course I know so many people who don't grow up knowing what they want to do or who they're going to be and I can't I can't wrap my head around that because I never had that experience it was always very clear to me and everyone else that I was going to become a musician I didn't know I'd become a nonprofit professional but that was you know I already told that story so I just grew up with like having this thing it was weird I was like known for being talented but strange like everyone was like yeah he's a really weird weirdo nerd gay girl whatever but super talented like that was always like the one thing so that's why I spent a lot of my life unlearning that that was not the only thing that gave me value so anyway I don't I don't know how I got a 
down this road. I wasn't expecting to, but it all weaves together. So anyway, back to what I'm saying. <laughs> I digress. Um, my marriage was super important to me, and it's it was just a huge about face for me to feel that I needed that so strongly. And I just knew that Kurt was the one like that I wanted to be married to. And it's still that way. I'm still so happy to be with him. And we, I said to him, we just had our two year anniversary of our first date, which was last week, the day the podcast came out. And I said, or was it two weeks? It doesn't matter. Anyway, I said to him, you know, of course I love you, but I'm surprised that I still like you so much. And I think he was a little bit offended <laughs> like at first. But seriously, usually two years into a relationship, I got a lot of water under the bridge. I mean, hello, if you're listening to this, you probably know my work. So you know, because it's all right there on a 29 albums worth of stuff. So yeah, usually it's like I said in an interview like 10 years ago, if I'm writing songs about us, it's not good. Like we're in a bad place. So I have, you know... I, hours and hours of songs about relationships falling apart and this one just isn't like that i mean do we have arguments yes do we have we had some knockdown drag out fights yes we have we've had some really intense disagreements and screaming and yelling and breaking glasses and the whole thing but that's very rare it's few and far between it's not something that happens a lot and it's the closest to my relationship that i wrote about a lot um with stand at the edge and divide and the crossing all the way up through who knows what signs of life i don't i i still sometimes have written songs about him years later that relationship ended almost 20 years ago but it was very similar in the feeling the amount of love i had for him but we were very volatile like we would have arguments and really bad fights like every week basically and we'd either be really good or really bad there was like no in between like we were very extreme whereas with kurt it's very rare like we i noticed at one point that we had gone like four months without having any sort of argument of any kind we're just very relaxed with each other it's very difficult for us to push each other's buttons it can happen but it's rare so i finally 41 years old so never give up hope found out well not that i was out looking for a relationship we went through this but i ended up in a relationship where I feel heard and seen and loved and supported. And that's what we all want, right? So it became really important to me to have that on paper, to have that be official, officially me and Kurt as a married couple. And I think it surprised everybody. I remember calling my family and people were just like, what? Because we, one, we hadn't even been together for a year yet. So I think some people thought it was way too soon. Even my therapist was like, normally I would say it's too soon, but in your case, I'm going to have an exception here i'm gonna grant an exception to that rule because he usually recommends people wait two years but again i may or may not be on borrowed time this is still something i'm, I'm dealing with so and because even though i have eight stents the fact that my body clots so much means i could still have clots in my arteries but the only thing i'm holding on to some hope with is that uh, they're pretty sure that my blockages started when I was a teenager. So it took a good 20, 25 years for that to cause heart attacks. But to be fair or whatever, to play devil's advocate, they do always say, when you're symptomatic again, we'll do X, Y, Z. It's not an if, it's a when, it will happen. Fortunately, now I think I'll know the warning signs. I just saw my cardiologist, Dr. Wolfschläger, last week. The one I didn't tell him that I, I cried about him in this podcast, but I saw him for the first time in a while, and he was basically saying, like, you probably had symptoms for years and you just didn't know what it was. He's like, it's not like you just all of a sudden had a heart attack. Your blockages happened over a long time, so you probably had some chest pains and things happening, and you just chalked it up to being something else. And I'm like, yeah, it's probably true. 
So now I know, and I don't know, I'm excited in some ways to talk to Kurt officially on this podcast. I think we might get deeper than we normally would just back and forth because I do want to hear his perspective of all of this. Um, and you know, there have been things I've been there for him with as well, but the lion's share of the support in the relationship so far, as far as anything major has been him being a support to me. And I don't know how much of that, I don't think that's the central part of our relationship, but I, I'm sure it affected him very differently and probably in more deep way than it did me because it was happening to me. I wasn't along for the ride. And I know if it were the other way around, I'd probably be feeling a lot of things about it. So I'm excited to talk to him next week. So we got married and everything was great. And now we do this thing. Well, hopefully where every year for our anniversary, we go somewhere warm. We went to Florida this year to Fort Lauderdale in Miami and had a great time. We did it cause it was cheap. We got really cheap airfare. We got a really great Airbnb that was super cheap. And cause we just wanted to like lay around. We didn't want to do a bunch of stuff. Like when I go to Europe, it's like whirlwind. We're going all over the place, but for our anniversary, it's February. So it's freezing here in Michigan where I live. And so we're like, let's just go somewhere warm. We're hoping COVID-19 is not going to kill our vibe next year. We'll see what happens, but either way, we're going to do something fun, but our hope is that each year we'll take a little trip every year around our anniversary to celebrate it. And again, I just, it's wild and crazy to me that I married at all. Um, I think again, my family is super surprised. Nobody really saw that coming. I'm so independent and always had been kind of a loner. So it's, it's a different life for me now, but it's very comfortable and I'm very thankful to have him around during this time. We're very good at being together, but not doing like, what am I saying? We're very good at being together but being apart, right? So I, I feel like I get my alone time because we can sit next to each other and not say a word for hours and then do our thing or whatever. And every once in a while we'll have a conversation or we'll show the other person a cute video of an animal or something or something funny or I'll be mad about some tweet I read like, oh my gosh, can you believe what the government just said now or whatever? I'm, I get mad a lot about what's happening. Um, I'm very political, so I get very much enmeshed in what's happening. I've had to really cut down my news intake, but I have a subscription to the New York Times, so I pretty much read that briefing every day that I get in my inbox and I periodically through the day we'll kind of check and see what's going on i also uh look at npr usually or listen to it not as much now and i'm not driving uh as much hardly at all i actually had a tank of gas that lasted four months so i just had to get gas last week for the first time since march so yeah it's just cruising along my my job i'm not sure when i'll go back probably maybe august 1st it's going to depend on what happens with the unemployment situation here in the, the states so yeah, just a lot of thought, a lot of time to think. Again, like really thinking about identity when I was putting this podcast together and kind of outlining it, like what I wanted to talk about. And it's interesting for me because obviously my work is very transparent and vulnerable, but it's talking about it is a little more difficult. Not difficult, but it makes me feel vulnerable again. Like that episode where I cried in episode three, I almost edited that out because I was like, eh. I don't know that I want to be that vulnerable, but then some people gave me some advice to leave it in because we're all in a time right now where we need to keep it real. And maybe me accessing my emotions might've helped you access your emotions and feel that that was safe, like a safe space, even though it's an audio space. And I think that's true. Like I am, oh, I don't know about y'all, but I have been crying at the drop of a hat. I mean, the simplest thing, like we were watching RuPaul's Drag Race and I was crying. I, I'm just so, my emotions are so raw in this time because everything's so uncertain and we, we are not wired to live in uncertainty like this. 
So I find that it's just, I mean, I've always been kind of a softy. I'm the kind of person that cries in a movie or whatever. Like, I'm always like, oh gosh, if I see a movie in public, I'm just like holding my breath, trying not to like openly weep because I don't want to do it in public. But I at home, ooh, yeah, I'm going to be crying. So that's a way that I get my emotions expressed or get them out. You know, you got to work through them. I always say the only way out is through. You can't go around it. You can't go above it. It's going to come back and bite you. You got to get through those emotions when you have them. It's hard. It takes work. I'm lucky to have music for that. Although this was something I was going to talk about this week too. So as we wrap up this week's episode, I just, I haven't made a record in three years, which is really weird for me, obviously. Um, there was a time where I was actually two records ahead of myself. So I would be releasing something, but I was already a record. I had already finished another record, but I didn't want to release too many things. But if you were around, there were some years where I released two records, like every six months I'd have an album out or I'd do a double album or whatever. So usually I'm very prolific, but I have not since I finished the turbulent sea, which I finished after the first heart attack, not knowing that's what had happened. Um, but I finished that record in the fall of 2017 and I have not made a record since I've only actually recorded one song in that whole three year time. And I one, I'm making time for my relationship and that's important to me. And I'm trying to figure out what does my process look like now that I'm in a relationship that I'm married, um, because I tend to be very, um, what's the word preoccupied when I make an album, I go all in. I tend to make my albums very quickly, like a few weeks to a month where I'm writing and recording everything. Uh, and I'm just doing it almost every day for hours and hours and I can't think about anything else. And usually I'm trying to balance going to work at the same time, full-time work and making an album. And now I just want to spend more time with Kurt. And I think I've earned that. I think that's okay. I also think that I'm feeling this tremendous weight of like, what is the next record? But I'm also just not very motivated. And I think it's my medications. I'm just tired all the time. So for those of you who have chronic fatigue syndrome or also take medications that make you feel off, I feel you, I get it. It's, it's hard. So I keep like every once in a while, I'll get in the studio and kind of start something, but I never finish it. And I'm just learning like my process needs to change. It's okay if I only spend a few hours a day on something and then go back and binge watch TV with Kurt. Like that's okay. I don't have to, I don't have to be obsessed, but like a few weeks ago I started a song, which I didn't finish, but I started it. And then I purposefully said, okay, seven o'clock, I'm going to be done. Cause that's about the time we usually start watching TV. And I went downstairs and did, and I did feel preoccupied. I was a little bit not present, right? So I wasn't as present as I would have liked to be, but I was more present than I would have been in the past. So I'm like, okay, small steps, small steps, you'll get there. So I, I know a lot of people have been upset that I haven't put out any music, but then again, I've had a lot of people say, hey, you've put out a lot of work, so do, you do what you got to do. So I get it on both sides, and I'm, I'm not I'm going to say sorry, but I'm going to just say when it's time, it'll be time, and I'll feel it. But right now, I'm just trying to get through the days like everybody else. So next week, let's talk about it. As I mentioned at the beginning of this week's episode, next week I'm going to have Kurt on as my guest, and we're going to talk about him and me and us 
and the relationship and our identities, and I'm hoping it's going to be a fun conversation. I'm going to start off most episodes still just you and I talking, and then, or me talking at you, I guess, and then we'll put the interview segments in. It won't be like the whole episode. So um, I'll probably talk a little bit before about what's going to come, like what's going to happen in the interview, and then I'll talk a little bit after about it and kind of do a, a reflection and a debrief because I'm a program person for youth now, so I always know that you have to close with a reflection and a debrief because that's where you check for understanding, but I'm not going to be doing that. I'm just going to be wrapping things up so that it feels like a logical close for all of us. Anyway, stay safe, stay well, find those comforting things and lean into those things. These are difficult, difficult times, and if you are not doing well, I get it. It's okay. Especially if you have kids. Woo-hoo. It's got to be tough. That's my, my silver lining right now is that I don't have children. I'm just going to be really honest about it. I'm like, I don't know what would be happening. Five cats is enough. We've got five cats. So, yeah, stay stay well. Wash your hands. Wear your mask, please, in public. Please, don't be the Costco Karen. All right? And like Tabitha Brown says... Have a good day, but if you can't have a good day, don't you go ruin, ruining someone else's or whatever she says. If you don't know Tabitha Brown, check her out. I love her. She gives me a lot of comfort and calm in these times, and she has great vegan recipes. So I will see you next week. Bye-bye.